would you call this a disaster movie? <laughs> is it a disaster of a well, movie, yeah, or is yeah. it a disaster? Well, is this what you're going with? No, Did I, I just steal the punchline. You know, I, it, I agree. It is a disaster of a movie, but would you consider this like a disaster movie? Now, I know it's not like a hurricane or a meteor or something, but like this is, you know, I don't know. It's supposed to be a monster movie, right? I guess, but I, I maybe for me it was like I had a hard time thinking of him as like a monster when. I mean, we're, we're going to cover all this, but like they kind of do this to themselves. Like this, he's he's the result of human beings uh, experimenting and you know messing with science. Yeah, well, we can get into this. I have some comments on this that I wrote down towards the end of the movie for sure. But uh, I mean, you feel bad for fucking Godzilla. Uh, I don't feel bad for the people of Manhattan. Well, though, no, that's a ridiculous statement. What are you saying? <laughs> Well, I don't know. It was definitely people who brought on all of these things, and I don't know. We'll, we'll get into that at the end, I guess. Sounds good. Welcome to Bad Movies and Beer. I'm Cooper. And I'm Nolan. And yes, in case you didn't piece it together from us just talking about it, this week we are talking Godzilla, the 1998 version starring Matthew Broderick, which is strike one <laughs> and two right there, if you ask me. How many Godzillas have been made? God, man, I don't even know. There was a, a just a beautiful box set was put out recently, fairly recently, that has like all of them. Not this one, I don't think, but like all the original ones. And I think it had like, God, like 20, 20 movies in it, 20 to 25, like some absurd number. And was Godzilla sort of the start of the movie monster? Oh, no way, man. King Kong. Oh, King Kong was the first and then Godzilla came after? Don't quote me on first, but I'm pretty sure the first King Kong movie came out in like 1930-something, 40-something. Okay, so I'm just wondering, because I know there was such a huge collection of Godzilla movies and people who who love Godzilla as sort of the epitome of the big monster movie. Yeah, there's a certain uh, charm to it, I guess is the word I would use, because like some of the way they handled the effects of him, you know, walking through destroying the cities and some of his enemies, your Mothras, your uh, Mecha Godzillas, like those are not like kitschy, but like there's there's a kind of like, era specific charm to like oh look at that it's just a guy in a suit right like you know what i mean yeah and and we're like were many of them made in japan i cannot answer that question i don't okay. know that was my like that was my it just always took place there i i always felt like they were like made and created for a japanese audience well i believe like he lived there and in this one as well he's like it's the polynesian it's the polynesian sea right where he like kind of emerges from i think it has to do with where nuclear testing is taking place and we'll get into all of this as we go into the plot here this was actually a request this episode our second request of the season this one was requested by zachary one of our instagram followers so zach if you go by zach this is uh <laughs> we're making it informal already zach is a friend doing, of the yeah. show thank you zachary or zach uh for for the recommendation uh, this is a great suggestion for the podcast because, wow, big budget movie um, in terms of, I just assume TriStar, Sony, this must have cost a lot of money to create. Oh my God, a fuck ton. Yeah. And, this is, and the marketing too, like we were alive when this thing was coming out and mm-hmm. everywhere you went, it was all over like drink cups and posters everywhere. And, you know, it was a huge, huge deal. How much did they have to pay Puff Daddy and Jimmy Page to do the like theme song for this thing? I don't know, but I'll tell you right now, that's the best part of this fucking movie. <laughs> I spent I spent 140 minutes of this shit waiting for that song to come in. It never happened until the very end. And like, you know, they actually ha- they drop hey, you know a little bit in the middle there, but not very much at all. Yeah, it's a long time. I yeah. I remember this uh, CD, right? I remember this album and I remember enjoying it. So I was like, oh, this is going to have a great soundtrack through here. We're going to hear them all the time. No, no, not really. No, it was all. not that yeah. at all. No, <laughs> not even a little bit. That. No. So... 
Yeah, request this week. And as you know, we always drink a beer somehow related to the movie. That's what we do here. Uh, the beer we are drinking today, what have we got in all? Okay, this is called Gamma Ray. Oh, much like the uh, radioactive rays that birthed Godzilla himself. Yeah, so the gamma rays here are are the connection, which is awesome. And this is from Signal Brewery. They're out in a place called Corbyville, Ontario, which is uh, about an hour north of Belleville. I did a little bit of research, and it looks amazing. They have a lot of really cool beers. Signal kind of refers to the, like, music or radio signal. Yeah, I was going to say, they, their, their logo appears to be like a radio tower. Yeah, and they have a lot of live band stuff that happens at their brewery. They have a brew pub and a huge patio on a river. It's actually a place I would really like to visit on a road trip. So this might have to go uh, on our list of places we visit when we go visit producer John in Montreal one day after uh, COVID's. Yeah, passed. that's cool, man. I, I did not know anything about that. And that's I've never, I've never heard of Corbyville. I assumed like really small town, but you're saying they got like a nice setup there. Yeah, it looks incredible. Uh, The pictures online and all the feedback I can read online about this place are awesome. This will be my first beer from them, so excited to try it. So this is an Imperial Coffee Stout uh, coming in at 9.5%. So uh, these are going to catch up to us pretty quickly. Oh, my. But uh, I do really enjoy Imperial Stouts, so I'm looking forward to this one for sure. Wish I had a couple of these while I was watching the movie. Good Lord. <laughs> I had to watch it in two pieces. So, yeah, it would have kept me awake through yeah. it. I had to go to bed and watch it. Did you just list. jump the gun on the can opening? You just dive in there? Oh, I'm in. Oh, all right. Well, I'm, I better join you then. So, we open with some grainy ocean footage, along with a map of French Polynesia and some kind of like those radioactivity warnings, like the nuclear signs there. And we've also got some reptiles swimming underwater. There's a countdown, which we have to assume is to a nuclear test. All of a sudden, a massive explosion. And as the dust settles, we zoom in on some eggs. <laughs> yeah. Um, so not having a Godzilla background, I'm watching this. The close-ups on the lizards and then the lizards' eyes are hilarious. Like they're trying <laughs> to get like <laughs> this lizard perspective. And then I'm like, oh, shit, is this going to create Godzilla? And I was like, this is garbage there's no way a nuclear test is creating this creature then of course it does right we get those eggs and uh what hatches from those that nuclear radioactive eggs in the french polynesians here well we're going to find out very soon but we get an immediate cut there's a thunder crash and we are now all of a sudden on in like an oil rig or a ship so uh it's a it's a canning ship a ship where they they can fish uh, so we get in here. They're very quick to tell us it's in Asia by showing us sumo wrestling and a guy eating noodles. Yeah. <laughs> <I was laughs> like, is there any yeah. other stereotypes we can pull out immediately so that we know and we can locate this ship? Buddy, don't you worry. They pull another one out, a big one out very soon. So suddenly there's an alarm. Something big on the sonar is heading towards this ship and it smashes into it. We clearly see an enormous tail. From there, we cut to Matthew Broderick singing in the rain. Literally, he's singing in the rain. Yeah, I laughed my ass off when he came in here. He's driving in a truck. He's singing in the rain. It's pouring down. The transition was kind of good because it was obviously wet and rainy in the ship as it goes. Um, but it goes from this very like tense moment of this ship getting attacked by Godzilla to a very humorous one with Matthew Broderick. And immediately, I'm like, how is he going to pull off the sort of protagonist of this monster film like usually you would have someone who's going to help defeat or fight it and Matthew Broderick is not that kind of actor 
No, he's not. And that <laughs> to answer your question, he's not. He's not going to be able to do this. This is wild miscasting just immediately off the hop here. Like, I don't know if they're going for an everyman thing, but it's just not working for me. Like almost well, immediately. Yeah. And he brings a lot of levity throughout, but he, he makes it kind of clownish rather than serious as a monster movie in many spots. And I mean, it probably made me laugh more, but I don't think I was supposed to, right? Like, this is, wasn't what they were going for. Maybe it was. Like, why do you put him in that role? I don't know, but I recall seeing the casting and sort of being like, wait, he's the main guy? Like, I thought he was going to be there as kind of like affable sidekick, like, you know, second lead, scientist in the background, making the occasional joke. No, he's the main guy. Yep. No, he's he's definitely the main character of this movie. They doubled down on the science, I guess. Was well, yeah. What they're hoping for. They're hoping that they can sort of convince everyone that the worm biologist is the best person to take on Godzilla. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. Nico Tatopoulos is the name, although they will constantly be pronouncing that wrong throughout the movie. Yeah. It's they Tatopoulos, just... isn't it? Tatopoulos? <laughs> Now you're doing it. Now no, you're a part it. of the skit. No, I was shaking my head because I thought it was so ridiculous that they kept making fun of his Greek name because they couldn't figure it out. Like, they reach for a lot of low-hanging fruit as humor in this movie for sure as we go through. God, that yeah, that's a great way of putting it. Low-hanging fruit is 100% what they're going for here. Anyway, he is setting up some of his equipment when all of a sudden a helicopter shows up and outsteps some members of the U.S. State Department. Turns out he is being reassigned, and this sounds kind of ominous. Uh, speaking of ominous things, we meet a mysterious character uh, who is French, played by Jean Renault, because if you need a French actor, he's kind of the only one that uh, Hollywood uh, ever goes ever to uses. So, is he the guy from The Professional? Oh, yeah, he's Leon The Professional. Yeah, okay, that's yes, what definitely. I, so that was where I, would, like, I just called him The Professional throughout the movie, because that's where I, I remembered him from, but this part was really weird to me. In the credits, we do hear that nuclear countdown happening in French, and it is the French Polynesian Islands where it's happening. So you get an idea that like there is something connected to that. But this whole idea that he is leading a like team of French Secret Service people here is, is really baffling to me. I don't understand the whole reason behind him being included. He's not alone, though. He is with the only survivor from the ship being destroyed. It is kind of an older gentleman who is Asian. And uh, when he asked the guy what he saw, we get a nice zoom in on the face. And he says, Godzilla. So uh, apparently decided to stick with the classic pronunciation. Speaking of your stereotypes there, Noel. <laughs> yeah, and he says it three times. <laughs> Go on, man. I saw this and I thought of you in two ways. I wondered if you were going to give it a plus one because you dropped the title of the movie or whether you were going to take one away for the classic Asian racism. <laughs> it was an emotional sure. roller coaster. That's what it yeah. made me think of when I saw this. And he wouldn't say anything until our French character here. He takes a lighter and kind of hypnotizes him with it. It's weird. Like that's how he gets out what he had seen. It was it was a strange connection here. But we know what he's seen. We we have officially learned that Godzilla is here. There you go. And from there, we go back to Matthew Broderick, who is very unhappy that he's being pulled away from his project. As you mentioned, he is a worm biologist. He's studying nuclear followed on worms. And apparently, they're 17% larger than they used to be, or as he calls it, enormous. <laughs> when he was there in Chernobyl, Chernobyl studying those worms, they were large when they were wriggling around. You're like, oh, man, he's, he's onto something here. But when he arrives on this island and they haven't really explained to him what he's doing yet... What happens? Well, I was going to say, if he thinks those worms are enormous, he is in for a surprise because as he is walking and talking with this military personnel, it's a colonel, he realizes that he's actually standing inside of a giant footprint, which we have to assume is the footprint of Godzilla. And with his mind blown, he now meets his new boss. She's a paleontologist. And they watch some footage from this movie. 
it's the same close-up of the old man telling Jean Reno what he saw, which I guess Jean Reno, they were videotaping him? I thought that was just a scene that was just happening. I didn't realize they were videotaping him. Yeah, it's really strange. And I mean, we're just getting into this part of the plot, but I thought the purpose of Jean Reno's um, character was to kind of hide or hush up Godzilla, like not let people know that the French government or the French nuclear test had fucked up and created a giant lizard monster. Oh my God, yeah, 100%. He's there to cover it up. So why would they just voluntarily, if, if he was videotaping, why would he voluntarily give this footage up? Yeah, I don't, I don't I don't understand that. It was weird that there was a paleontologist who was leading this sort of, I guess Godzilla's kind of like a dinosaur. So they chose a paleontologist to lead this sort of study of it. Well, we find out later, this is her theory. Her theory is that he is some sort of dinosaur who has survived uh, just undetected since, you know, the Paleolithic era, whichever one she says. Yeah, and, and it's kind of strange. And her character's weird right away because she, she dismisses him and says he's not going to be useful. And then she looks at him and kind of gives him like a raised eyebrow, like, oh, you're cute. They're teasing us with some sort of relationship tension here that never really comes to anything. Well, and later she even mentions it to him. She even compliments him on his appearance. And it's such a strange, like... If we have a strong female leading scientist, like, why is it immediately that her, like, focuses on how cute this guy is and not at all what he brings to the table in terms of his scientific knowledge? Maybe she's trying to convince us that he's the right leading man for this movie. Well, I think they are. Oh, you're I think so you're right. handsome. Like, okay, yeah. <laughs> I think they're writing that in there, telling us that this is why he is. Maybe. Uh, but he's not interested because he's got eyes for someone else. We cut to, uh, it turns out this is ex. Her name is Audrey in New York City. We saw her in some photos earlier that Matthew Broderick had with him. She is a research assistant for an extremely smarmy news anchor played by Harry Shearer. And this is the one piece of casting where I'm like, they fucking nailed this. Harry Shearer plays this dude so great just greasy and slimy and it's a fantastic portrayal in my opinion uh yeah he nails the part of a super sleazy do anything for the story news reporter uh, especially a male reporter who subjugates women underneath him and asks for sexual favors for promotion and those kind of things (laughs) oh my god yeah that happens right away um she wants a promotion and he's essentially like sleep with me we've come a long way as a society that would not fly these days no thankfully yeah, as you mentioned, uh, Matthew Broderick's new boss is just putting a full court press in him. We go back to a little bit of that. And he's kind of not sure how to react. They survey the remains of the ship. And uh, John Renault is there. And when someone kind of asks what he's doing there, who he is, he says he's an insurance which I guess is, again, just cover. Seems like an odd choice. Yeah, it's it's strange. They're really building in that sort of second set of people who are really interested in what happens with this Godzilla creature. What I didn't really understand is they're building in that, but they only have the Americans and the French. Like, is it possible that none of the other countries in the world or anyone else knew about this? Like, how is this being kept secret? I don't mm. know. I, the, again, the French playing such a prominent role is so strange to me. I, I get it. They're in French Polynesia, but like, when have the French ever played a prominent role in anything? <laughs> I mean, it's been a while, right? Um, it's it it is really strange. I don't I don't know why that choice. And we kind of get a sense like this wouldn't make any sense today in like our current connective internet world. But because it's I guess supposed to be taking place in 1998, there was internet then, but the same kind of social media connections weren't quite there yet. So news didn't travel nearly as fast. They even make a mention of a place being connected to the internet, like that was novel in the movie. So it was kind of funny. <laughs> Big deal, yeah. Speaking of ships, because there's in the ship here, we see three fishing boats that are having some trouble. They're inexplicably slowing down, almost like they're caught on something, and they're definitely caught on something. Guess what they're caught on? Godzilla. 
<laughs> yeah, so they're trolling. The three of them have these huge nets. They're one huge net that the three are pulling simultaneously. And it's not looking good for these ships. Uh, they stop and then they try to cut free. But unfortunately, they get yanked right under that water by Godzilla. Godzilla's clearly after fish, right? Like, this is interesting to me. Like, the target was a giant fish canning boat, and now he's taken down some fishing trawling boats. What I didn't understand is why Godzilla made their way all the way to the eastern seaboard. Like, why are they coming towards uh, the United States? That, to me, made no sense. Right? Well, you've like, been to the eastern seaboard. They have fantastic seafood. <laughs> and that's really why. He wanted a main lobster. So he just <laughs> don't blame you blame him. They're delicious. <laughs> but I, I was I was kind of like, well, this is fucked. Why is it making its way there? And obviously it's because it, they wanted to have Godzilla in New York City because it was absolutely going to be kind of yep. an epic setting piece. But it, to me, there wasn't enough of an explanation. This was sort of like Jaws of Revenge to me. Like this was like we know in Jaws of Revenge, at least Jaws was like hunting a family and it, it found them through that water somehow. Sorry, hang on. At least I was going to say, at, <laughs> as in at least that movie is horrible. I know. Oh, I agree. It's a piece of shit movie. But at least they gave some hint of explanation of why he was traveling in there. We got nothing on why Godzilla left the Polynesians and came to uh, America, unless it's for the fabulous fish, as you say. The problem is, as you mentioned, he's getting close to America. They're freaking out because he's 200 miles from the eastern seaboard. And this is what's drawn at least the Americans in and kind of this incited this panic. Now, uh, as I mentioned, Dr. Elsie Chapman thinks this is a giant prehistoric reptile that they previously thought was extinct. But Matthew Broderick has a different theory. What about the traces of radiation? The radiation isn't an anomaly. It's the clue. <laughs> he figures this out super fucking fast, right? Like, it's amazing how quickly he figures it out. And I know they grabbed him because he was studying the effects of radiation on worms, and that kind of makes sense. But it's for him, he, they have like a little science table he's working at, and he, he figures this out using a piece of flesh from Godzilla that he had found on the ship. The canning should be taken down, and he analyzes that and immediately knows that this was radiation that caused this mutation, and we have a big fucking mutant lizard. We've also got a big fucking romantic interest because we from there we cut to a quick scene of Audrey complaining to her friends about her boss and her friends tell her that she's too soft for the world of TV journalism. Um, she's arguing back at them and then she sees Matthew Broderick on TV and this is where we get a little bit of their backstory. Turns out they were college sweethearts. Yeah. And you know, maybe the relationship ended when neither one of them totally wanted it to. Uh, in my notes, I wrote down, well, you know, they're getting back together before the end of this movie. Oh, 100%. It's a slam dunk. So paint by numbers. You're just like, ugh. Her character was frustrating. Pretty two-dimensional too, I feel. Oh, I don't think really, there was a lot to her. Really two-dimensional. Um, they're just like, oh, we need a love interest let's uh put this in make them call it sweethearts yeah know. from there we go to an old fisherman by the <laughs> down by the docks yeah this is funny this is kind of funny some bums are teasing him that he's never going to catch anything in the east river but he shows them he gets a bite a huge one he loses his <laughs> rod and then loses his life as godzilla rises from the ocean destroying the dock it steps out onto land and starts dropping boats from the sky. We are just right into this now. So the scene of him running away as Godzilla's coming out from the water is pretty funny. It's sort of, he's running down the dock as fast as he can and the boards behind him are exploding. And <laughs> yeah, but it's these little tiny old man steps. I know, but he like, he, I almost felt like he survived. Like I felt like he got to the end before Godzilla like emerged. Godzilla then does go after the fish market or like the fishmongers down uh, on the edge of the sort of New York sea line there, right? Like that's its first intent again, clearly gathering fish for some reason. Uh, it's a feeding frenzy. After much destruction, 
Godzilla has the nerve to interrupt a press conference by Mayor Ebert, which, what the fuck? This was... I remember at the time, this was like one of the most criticized things about the movie. This is fucking ridiculous. They make the mayor a Roger Ebert lookalike named Mayor Ebert. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, and is that just supposed to like be a poke fun at Roger Ebert? Like, why would they have done that? They also make him absurdly incompetent. They do. This was a shot at the critics. I think this the director knew this is going to be savage. And I guess maybe he'd had some bad experiences before with, uh, with Roger Ebert, Ebert or yeah. possibly Siskel and Ebert. Because we also see his assistant there is basically Gene Siskel. That's so, hilarious. I didn't pick up on that. Until you yeah, said really? that, I didn't realize. No, I didn't. I didn't pick up on the mayor and his assistant being uh, Siskel and Eber. That's funny. I, I just, I guess, I didn't pay attention to their names. I did like focus on them being incompetent. And now that you say it, they looked remarkably like the two of them. Oh yeah, for sure, man. Uh, from there, we get a famous shot of it, kind of like walking down the street, people fleeing. It drops another boat. Where was it hiding that one? I kind of wondered to myself. Like, how did that fall out earlier? <laughs> it was stuck in its teeth. At, at this time, I looked at the clock of the movie. It took Godzilla like 25 minutes only to get to New York. I was like, holy shit, this movie's going to be over fast. God, if only they'd kept that pace up. <laughs> From there, we yeah. get a little comedy as it uh, walks past the news station right as Harry Shearer is complaining about not having a good lead story. He misses the creature walking by because he kind of turns his head at like just the wrong moment. Then there's a close call for one of Audrey's friends. He's a cameraman played by Hank Azaria from The Simpsons. Mm -hmm. He runs out of a diner to try and get a shot of Godzilla, and Godzilla's foot comes down. It's going to smash him, but he luckily ends up directly in the space between its toes and survives, which is like, that's actually kind of a cool shot, I felt. Is his name Victor, and they call him Animal? They definitely call him Animal. I don't know if I caught his first name. Victor sounds right, though. His character's kind of funny. It's weird. He he sort of he's very useful for pushing along the plot, but he's always just putting himself and the other people around him in really dangerous positions for the story. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned him being funny. I've I've seen Hank Azaria be fun a lot funnier in a lot of other things. Well, to yeah, me, it's not yeah. like a haha funny. It's funny in the choices that it makes in the movie to me. I guess. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. Well, you can't trash New York City without getting a little attention. So here comes the army. They're going to evacuate Manhattan. Also, somehow this massive reptile has disappeared. Which, um, you know, <laughs> seems like bullshit to me. But as you point out, 1998, this is kind of pre-cell phones. There's less security cameras. I guess it's possibly conceivable that it could, like, hide in a fucking skyscraper or something. It's, no, no, you know what? No, it is. No, you're right. There's no excuse. <laughs> it's, no uh, it's so dumb. I wrote this down, too. So there's all this panic. Everyone's getting off of the island of Manhattan, right? They're getting out of there. Um, and while that's happening... Godzilla just disappears, just gone. And I'm trying to figure out, like, why would it disappear? What's the motive for not continuing to just fuck up the city? Like, why is Godzilla here? Why did it come all the way across the ocean? It clearly got the fish it needed down by the, like, the docks. But why is it wrecking its way through New York City? Yeah, there's no reason for that. Now, there is a reason for why it disappears, though, why it kind of goes into hiding. And we'll find that out a little bit later. But in the meantime, they scramble helicopters, news, police, uh, Mayor Ebert, whose right-hand man, Gene, again, clearly meant to be Gene Siskel, gives him a hard time about not laying off the sweets. So now we're making fat jokes. This is just like such an unnecessary shot. And I'm not a big mm-hmm. Ebert guy, but like this is just blatant. That's, yeah, that's weird. Yeah. When they land, he has some quick comments for uh, some investors, which includes uh, Jean Renault for some reason. He's there. Did you see what Jean Renault did when he went and talked to the mayor, though? 
put a little something on him, didn't he? He bugged him. Yeah. Right? So the reason he popped in there is because he wanted to, he knew the mayor was going to be in some of those conversations that were talking about where it was moving and get some inside information. So he, he threw a bug on him so that he could listen in on those conversations. But we still don't know why at this point. We don't know who he is. Oh, yeah. Them, we, right? yeah, yeah exactly. Is we still he? don't know what yeah. he's doing there. Yeah. We will find out more in a minute. But first, we see Audrey has stolen her boss's press credentials and is going to use them to sneak into the command center which I can't imagine why they're letting any press into the command center. That seems like a wild violation of military protocol. (laughs) You do think if there was an emergency like this, you wouldn't be wanting a lot of press to be there trying to ask you questions as you're trying to figure out where this giant mutant lizard is. No. Also, uh, I'm going to call bullshit on this. She wants this big scoop to kind of jumpstart her career, but the whole plan hinges on her sticking her photo on the outside of his laminated press pass, (laughs) which inexplicably works. The military personnel running this command center take a look at what has to be is the bullshit cut and paste job and are like, okay. So that's kind of fucking nonsense. Well, there is so many things that go a certain way in this movie that are complete bullshit, right? Like you you have to let a hundred million. Well, that's a, a, quite an exaggeration, but you have to let hundreds of things go for this to make any kind of sense. And it doesn't even with that. <laughs> yeah. We see that Jean Renault has a mobile command center of his own set up in a UPS truck. When after reminding us that he's French by complaining about the quality of American coffee and the fact that the donut <laughs> shop didn't have croissants, yep. we find out that he bugged the man so he can listen in on private briefings uh in one of those briefings we learn that they still have no idea where godzilla is and that in fact he's been using the tunnels underground which means he could escape the island so he's hanging out in the subways i guess right like he's underground well they said tunnels so i guess it must be subway tunnels but i feel like he's far too big to just walk through like he's bigger than a subway car yeah, I don't know. I guess so. I, I I think there are other tunnels that lead underground to places or under the water even to get from place to place. So yeah, so now they're worried they need to block it up, right? They don't want him to be able to escape those tunnels. Yeah, that's the idea. Now, Matthew Broderick says they need to stop thinking of him as an enemy. Okay, he's an animal and they need to draw him out. He starts his speech by saying... When I had to catch earthworms, so he's losing credibility in that room real fast. <laughs> Very quickly, yes. Yeah, but his point is they've got to figure out what he needs. Um, what Jean Renault needs is a decent cup of coffee. Again, we find this out. <laughs> is the next time we see him, he is again complaining about what these Americans pass off as coffee. You said this was French roast. Ah oui, regardez. God damn, this is just... You don't, yeah, tell us, the, about stereotypes. Come on. It said French row. Yeah. There's some of the jokes in here are just really, really poor. I think that's the point where Broderick figures out that we can lure him out with some food, right? With some fish. We're going to get this big pile of fish going and we know we can get him out. And we're about to break into the glorious military music sequence and montage almost. Oh, there you go. So you must have perked near up montage, right here. Nearest yep, montage. I did. This, this woke thing. me up for a mere like one minute. <laughs> Yeah, the plan is we're going to dump a bunch of fish on the streets, see if he's hungry. Everyone doubts this will work. The mayor, the army colonel, they don't believe it. But Jean Renault thinks it's very clever. Um, it's not working, so Matthew Broderick decides to open some manholes so it can smell the fish more easily, which it does, and it bursts through the street looking vaguely realistic. I was kind of like, okay, this effect is not bad. 1998 uh, computer effects was pretty solid. In my notes, I'm like, this looks so fake now. <laughs> oh, Jesus. But I did write, probably looks okay 20 years ago. I said vaguely realistic. Yeah. Vaguely. So- <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, man. It was interesting, right? Because it it does kind of look like a cool Godzilla. It looks better than certainly the sort of 
old monster movie style Godzillas we yeah, had. Yeah, where it's a guy in a suit, right? Like, yeah. yeah, it's way better than that. But it's clear that this is early computer animation, right? And we've just come so far since 1998 that I think people just have gotten so much better at it. Yeah. What I thought was weird about this scene is it popped out and it almost like kind of like makes eye contact with Matthew, Matthew Broderick and it seems cool with him. Like, oh yeah, man, he, he, Matthew Broderick goes to take a photo and he uses the flash on his camera, which to, to me would be a bad idea. Like you don't want to set anything off that's going to like startle the creature but he does yeah we get a kind of like a tender moment almost where it it gets right up in his face while this like soaring music plays and i just wrote down the majesty of nature (laughs) this is where we're getting the transition shots between people and the monster and those are the ones i had the most problem with because they just they didn't work for me the way that they spliced together the animation and the people it actually almost harkened back to those old school um, monster movies where they they're super zoomed in on a picture of like a real lizard or something yeah. and then they have the other people run away in like a little spot <laughs> it felt like that to me a lot in this movie i laughed a lot at it but i don't think i was supposed to no uh this all just gets shattered though this peaceful moment when the colonel orders them to fire at will which they do many many times with no effect and i automatically i'm just like i know how this is going to end okay like you don't hire matthew broderick to hunt and kill the monster you hunt him to become friends with the monster and teach us all a lesson (laughs) about life this is the thing i'm like he's not gonna kill this thing no fucking way well i mean why would you bring the biologist in to murder a monster i i was surprised that he wasn't more angry when the guns and firing started happening like i expected his character to be outraged but he doesn't get outraged. Matthew Broderick doesn't get outraged. No, he does not upset at all. Like, I thought he was going to be pissed at the military. He he ends up running away because the shooting at Godzilla obviously makes Godzilla angry. And he falls over and then Godzilla knocks like a statue of a famous American almost on top of him. It was like this really like weird comedic moment when it's supposed to be like our first Godzilla chase scene. Oh, yeah, man. There He takes off. Uh, the army pursues him and they keep shooting. This just causes tons of property damage. All the helicopters get destroyed. The mayor is furious. He's so mad he doesn't even want any more candy. They're just, <laughs> just, just nailing punching that one down, down, man. Um, the fire breath I thought was pretty cool. When Godzilla unleashes the fire breath, I thought that the fire effects in this movie looked really good. Um, it's funny when the military try to shoot him with their helicopters, but instead blow up the Chrysler building. The military really fucks it up. Yes, they right? do. Like, they really, really fuck this up. And then I'm just sort of like, why is Godzilla here? What does Godzilla want? That just kept going through my yeah. mind, right? Like, why is you he here? You know what? Fair. Matthew Broderick has a theory, though. So we see him later. The next time we see him, he's at the military command center. And actually, it's Audrey who spots him. He's in a drugstore just buying all the pregnancy tests. <laughs> yeah, this was funny. He's got like handfuls of pregnancy tests. <laughs> and then his ex-longtime girlfriend walks in and is like, what have you been up to? <laughs> exactly. They reconnect here. Turns out that she dumped him, we find this out. And he's still a little mad. But you'd never know it by his acting because Matthew Broderick... Doesn't get angry <laughs> about those pregnancy tests. Turns out Godzilla is pregnant, but how? The answer is Godzilla, like some reptiles, can reproduce asexually. Where's the fun in that? Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, he is figuring out that yes, Godzilla is pregnant and is going to have babies, and it might explain why Godzilla is now using the underground of New York City to. Like, obviously hide from the military or hide from other people. It might explain why Godzilla's gone underground. Why New York, though? Why not any number of other far less populated areas? Yeah, I don't know. It doesn't. It it works for the movie, right? And so many of the other things that happen in this movie 
work because it's in the movie and that's what happens right that's uh that's 100 what it is they just wanted to set this thing in new york and so they decided to do it so he has to get that info to the lab he leaves audrey there and she steals a top secret videotape she's career-minded and it looks like it might work she might get on the air but not before we see that godzilla is back in the tunnels we get a shot of what appears to be a dead end uh some guys are in the tunnel and they think they've reached the end of this thing but then an eye opens and it fills the whole tunnel. And I actually kind of thought that was a cool shot too. That was a good shot. I'm pretty sure that's one of the trailer shots. I kind of remember that shot. That sounds familiar. Yeah. I thought the eye uh, was well animated too. I did think they did a good job on that part. Yeah, man. And now we go to a military briefing. Matthew Broderick reveals his findings. He says, forget about killing this creature. We have to find the nest and they have to do it soon because the eggs are going to hatch. There's some doubt in the room and it gets worse when a news report airs not with Audrey. Yeah, so I guess when she submitted her news story, the person who puts it on the air brought it to Harry Shearer and said, hey, look what we found. Definitely a greasy move there. But I guess he's looking out for himself because, you know, Shearer's going to keep giving him work if he gets that there. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, either way, this report airs, which makes everyone in the briefing very unhappy, especially because it includes all of the secret info and Matthew Broderick's theory that he just told them about. So there's absolutely no doubt where this came from. Uh, so he's fired. After they make fun of his name several times again, because, you know, Greek names are too hard to say. Sure. It is in this moment that we got the the very first glimpse of the Jimmy Page uh, P. Diddy song. There's just a little tease here. They, they do a little song tease. And I was like, oh, why are you not working in more of the songs from that album into this movie? It would make it so much more enjoyable for me. I agree. Uh, you know what will make this less enjoyable is watching Matthew Broderick doing more of his angry acting. But he does when he confronts Audrey. <laughs> I called it faux drama. I wasn't convinced yeah. <laughs> at all. It was so bad. He could not get mad. He just doesn't know how. Yeah. He stomps off. He leaves in a cab. But the cab driver skips the ramp to the airport. Matthew Broderick tells the driver to stop. Turns out the driver is Jean Renault. Mm. And uh, he, we find out, is from the French Secret Service. And he needs Matthew Broderick to help him find the nest because the Americans aren't going to. So not only are the French here inexplicably, they are fucking two steps ahead of everybody else. They're on top of this shit. (laughs) But how did they fuck up so bad to let Godzilla get to North America? They don't have anything other than like a six-man crew trying to hide the fact that they have created Godzilla. I'm just so confused what's happening with this group of French Secret Service agents. If France really cared about it, I'm sure they have the resources to do a whole lot more. I can tell you right now, man, that French Secret Service thing, it's not going to get less confusing as we move through this movie. It's just going to get more confusing. (laughs) Yeah. We get more backstory now. He mentions he's there to help clean up the mess that his country made with all those nuclear tests. Uh, Ask Matthew Broderick if he's in, and Matthew Broderick's quote is, Yeah. Yeah, I'm in. (laughs) I always wanted to join the French Foreign Legion. And at this point, we find out that Hank Azaria's cameraman has tailed him somehow uh, heard the plan despite the warehouse full of spies who would, you know, you'd think it'd be looking for something like that. How how did this cameraman climb up the side of the Secret Service's hiding spot, the French Secret Service hiding spot and follow? And I don't know, he has really good hearing or those windows are really, really poor. I'm not sure. The security in this movie is just fucking atrocious. <laughs> but, but everyone's military is just letting anybody in. 
It's it's at this point that I'm looking at the clock and I'm like, there's still over an hour left in this movie. Are you kidding me? Like, uh, it's it's rough right now. Things are not moving fast enough. Godzilla got here really quick and this shit should have been resolved by now, pretty much. Like, I was like, this movie should be over. How do we have an hour left? Oh, I know, man. It just keeps coming. Turns out they're going to have to sneak back into New York because it's been sealed off and sneak back in to try and find this nest. Hank Azaria's cameraman tells Audrey now she's going to sneak back in, too. We got simultaneous adventures. Yeah, they do. Uh, so she sneaks in with Hank Azaria through the back streets, which he has knowledge of as a real New Yorker. And Matthew Broderick and the French get in by uh, chewing some gum when they meet the American security guys. It makes them look more American, you see. Yeah, chewing gum and dropping Elvis Presley quotes is how uh, he gets his way by the, the military checkpoint. I mean, to be fair, this was pre-9-11, so. Is that a 9-11 <laughs> joke? <laughs> People, people were people were more trusting. I don't know. It's before. Like that's all. Anyway, let's find the nest. We're all going back into the city. Uh, amazingly, they find it almost right away. Like literally, uh, they find the creature anyway. Uh, it rises up out of the tunnel and back onto the street, and they follow it. The military has a trap set in the park. But Godzilla doesn't go for it, so they just start shooting anyway. This is interesting because they try to do the same trap as they did before, but Godzilla figures it out. Gets close, is lured by the giant thing of fish, but then sees all the military below and is like, wait a second here, what happened last time? Yeah, it's learning. Yeah, and as soon as it backs out, gets attacked again. There's like a thousand helicopters are after it, tanks, got ground soldiers, but it all does nothing, and then it jumps in the river. It's like a perfect dive. It would have got like a 10 out of 10 on the no splash rating. Like <laughs> yeah. it was amazing as it gets in there. Well, it, the, unfortunately for it, beautiful diver, no, they've got something waiting for him in there. It's submarines. Yeah, the Navy. This is the point in my notes where I wrote, how is there still 50 minutes of movie left? Like I'm, I, I, I hit the point a little later than you did, apparently. Yeah you, yeah, you got in 10 minutes longer than me. Yeah, that was it for me, though, uh, especially because the submarines score a direct hit uh, there's much celebrating as the lifeless body of Godzilla floats up to the surface. So I'm like, oh, fuck, it's dead. So that, I'm like, how, now I was really confused. How is there still an hour of this movie left? You do see this weird shot of Godzilla kind of rolling in the water and then sinking down. And you're like, there's no way Godzilla's dead. But of course, the military is celebrating as if he is. And we do have 50 minutes left. And I'm like, I hope this just ends and they have really long credits. Yeah, no, that is not the case. We're not so lucky. Godzilla is actually dead, I guess. Uh, also dead, Madison Square Garden. Yes, the most famous <laughs> sports arena in the world yes. has pretty much been destroyed except for a big cavernous opening at the top of the building. And so all of our characters climb up to the nest. That's where it is in MSG. There's way more eggs than Matthew Broderick was expecting, like uh, hundreds. And Matthew Broderick and the crew are going to blow it up. But there's a problem. There's not enough explosives. And also a problem, the eggs start hatching. <laughs> yeah. Somehow the uh, Godzilla has come all the way to New York City to choose MSG as its nest. Crawled up from under in the subway, puts a hole like right through the floor of the garden, like right in the middle of it, and lays eggs all over the garden and in the stands and all over. It's actually... Maybe Godzilla's a Knicks fan. <laughs> 
<laughs> that's so weird, right? Like, I don't know why they chose it, but I did think it was, uh, I-, I thought it was an interesting place for it to do it. it. Clearly, they're trying to plan cool scene sequences. I feel like they just wrote the script for cool places to do shots. What if the nest is Madison Square Garden? Yeah. yeah. Stuff and like I that. think that's just what they did, right? I mean, it was kind of cool, though. Like, in their defense, I'm like, oh, it's kind of cool. Like, better that I did than like it. Else. Yeah. Like, this, this sequence here where the uh, babies start hatching and as they pop up this starts to feel very much like a jurassic park inspired sequence yeah that or like aliens when like you know all the alien things but either way Mm -hmm. so matthew broderick's found this john rose found this audrey and hank azaria have also found this and as these eggs start hatching hank azaria's got his camera he starts getting some shots but then the baby godzilla start attacking we get a chase scene as they try to escape the garden not everyone makes it a couple of the french guys bite it or uh, it bites them, huh? <laughs> I don't know, yes. man. I'm trying to make this shit entertaining. <laughs> yeah, I know. Unfortunately, not all of the French Secret Service are going to be getting out of here. In fact, only one of them is going to be making it out of MSG here. So the people who are in there, Frank Azalea, Matthew Broderick, Audrey... They're all trying to get into the hallways, right? Try to get out of the middle of the stadium and away from these mini Godzillas that are being born. And there is a lot of them. Uh, And they're being chased by like dozens of these things throughout. This chase lasts a long time and it is ludicrous. (laughs) Matthew Broderick should have died like seven times. At one point, they have him completely surrounded but they wait like five minutes so he can get in an elevator before they try attacking him. And then somehow he's able to just push one of them out when the door closes without it, you know, like triggering the safety open for some reason, which absolutely would happen. (laughs) Yeah, the elevator scene was absurd to me. He gets in just before one sticks its head through and somehow he's superhero kind of like kicks it on the top of the head and pushes it out so that the door closes. That's such bullshit. These things can smash (laughs) through doors. We've seen them smash through, like, but they can't stop the awesome fucking leg strength of Matthew Broderick. He's been exercising those legs a lot. Like, clearly, that's what's happening here. There's some real bad comedy here in the elevator scene. Let's not leave the other scene yet. Yes, okay. Fucking, the door opens up, right? And it's like a bunch of the fucking baby Godzillas and he's like, wrong floor and then fucking closes the thing. So why Such a fucking groaner. Well, and of course on that floor, the baby Godzillas have somehow gotten into the popcorn. Like a couple of the times they have the baby Godzillas firing popcorn everywhere. I'm just like, what the yeah, fuck? It's like, it's like we're in fucking Gremlins now. This movie is a weird like mishmash of all these other better movies. Um, I had a hard time getting invested in all of this because, like, you know what else you don't hire Matthew Broderick to do in your movie? You don't hire him to die. I'm like, he's not going to fucking die. There's no chance. Yeah, it's true. I Yeah, you knew that he was... In fact, you kind of knew that all four of them were making it out of here. Like, you knew ahead of time that all these no-name French Secret Service actors were going to be the fodder. Like, of course they needed to kill someone, and they had various deaths of them, but you knew the four main actors were making it out of there alive. Well, you know, they try and build some tension because the four of them are basically trapped now and they can't reach the outside world. However, luckily, after Audrey and Hank Azaria fall through the ceiling, they tip them off to the closed-circuit broadcast equipment they use for New York Rangers games. So they're going to go live and kind of announce what's happening to the world, and they do, but it's a very harrowing message. They have to know that 200 eggs have hatched. Not only that, but these Godzilla babies were apparently born pregnant. So those 200 could turn to 40,000 in a year, and then they would be the dominant species. So basically, the army needs to blow up Madison Square Garden 
right now. So they're toast, right? Except Jean Reno can do anything. <laughs> yeah, this is hilarious. So they're asking for them to blow it up, even with them inside, right? They go live and they know that this is a possibility. Um, and then they receive this message back through the sort of teleprompter that uh, their message has been received and they have six minutes. And who's the one who can get them out of there? It's got to be Jean Renault. Oh, yeah. The professional. Yeah, <laughs> the professional. <laughs> he repels down from the balcony and invites them along. One of them says, where did you find this guy? He's from France. Oh, I wrote down here, Matthew Broderick as action comedy star is just killing me. It's like, real it was, bad. At this yeah. point, I was just struggling so hard. So um, they start running, and thanks to a bunch of those baby Godzilla slipping on some gumballs, <laughs> they make it to the doors. Yeah. But the doors are blocked by about 50 more of these babies. So luckily, there are three chandeliers hanging above, which Jean Renault shoots, uh, causing the babies to back away when they fall. Uh, not far enough away that they couldn't easily eat them as they go by, but whatever. Like, they're so oh, close, they could just snatch yeah. any one of them. So many near-death scenes for our main people that they all should have died a hundred times. And I wish they had of. Yeah. <laughs> if they had just blown the whole thing up with them in it to save everything, I would have been like, okay, good. And then we just transition to other main protagonists. Or guess what? The movie ends there and we all celebrate. <laughs> I think we all want to celebrate this movie ended about fucking half hour earlier. Anyway, they get out just as some army pilots blow up Madison Square Garden. And from there, we get a quick reconciliation between Matthew Broderick and Audrey. Jean Renault could use a coffee. And it looks like we're done, in my opinion. That movie was finished. Yeah. But no, it's not done. Nope. It looks like it's the ending. And I'm like, I'm happy they're about to wrap up. But this is where I hit the pause button and see there's still 30 minutes left. Yeah. So what's going to happen now? Godzilla, not dead after all, <laughs> rises <laughs> from the wreckage of Madison Square Garden. So I guess the army didn't bother to confirm the kill. This army... What kind of fucking chicken shit outfit are they running? They seem incredibly incompetent the entire time. It's been awful. So Godzilla's back and somehow Godzilla worked their way all the way to the nest just in time for it to get exploded and all of its babies to die. Well, Godzilla is a fucking pissed mommy data. Definitely, man. Shahi is angry and now we get more running. They're running and running and Audrey falls down. Matthew Broderick saves her. John Renault jumpstarts a taxi. Godzilla is chasing them and should have caught them again, like a hundred times. Like, there's no reason why he wouldn't have caught them. Yeah, this part is complete bullshit. Doesn't catch them when they're running. They hotwire a cab. They're throwing down all these really garbage New York City traffic jokes about which is the best route to take kind of thing as they're going. They get themselves stuck in a tunnel, right? A closed tunnel. It would be a good idea, except the tunnel is blocked off, so they're trapped now. And the military has finally realized this creature is still alive, which you'd think would be the first fucking thing they'd figure out if they try and blew it up. But whatever. Uh, they tell the planes to turn around. Um, they're trapped in this tunnel, but they get out by blinding Godzilla with the high beams. What the fuck is this? This is the worst moment for unbelievability for me in the entire oh, thing. Oh, I disagree. Right? That's, that's going to come in about uh, two minutes. In my oh, okay, opinion. Right. So ahead, we'll get no. there in a second. This for me was driving me crazy because there's no way Godzilla, the high, they drive right at it and then use high beams to get by. Also, as a part of this, while they were driving away, they kind of passed a military convoy. And what they did was they took the 
tag from their cab, ripped it off and threw it at the military guy so that he would figure out exactly what cab they were and figure out the unique call signal for that cab and contact them on the walkie-talkie. Based on what that military guy had done in the entire movie, there is not a chance he would have figured that out. Like, not even close. They made him seem incompetent the entire movie, and then all of a sudden he has this flash of genius where he's like, I know why he threw this at me. And then he tells them that Matthew Broderick needs to lead Godzilla somewhere so that they can attack him with their planes. And Matthew's like, I got this, the Brooklyn Bridge. This is the new plan. They're going to lure him to the Brooklyn Bridge. It seems like maybe it isn't actually following them, but then it pops up in front of them and they basically drive into its mouth. Oh, but wait, yes. there's more. This is where this is where this gets ridiculous. Oh okay, so yeah. for some reason, okay. it doesn't swallow them. And despite being several hundred feet in the air, there's a live wire just attached to this section of like pavement that Matthew Broderick is able to grab and jam into Godzilla's gums which causes it to open its mouth in pain and they drive out of its mouth. This is the most absurd, unrealistic part of this whole movie. For fuck's (laughs) sakes, this is insane. I absolutely agree. This may be one of the worst moments in all of the movies we have ever watched together. Like, it is insane that none of them even get hurt, that Matthew Broderick is able to grab a live wire and use it to free them. They don't fall to their death out of the mouth. Like, none of it makes sense. They would have died when the car crashed back down to the pavement. Like, all of this is such horseshit. Yeah. But now that they're free, they get it to the bridge. And because the Brooklyn Bridge is a suspension bridge, is that right? It definitely is. So in my notes right here, I'm like, oh, my God, they're going to trash the bridge. And I was like, the horror, no, please don't destroy (laughs) this bridge. It's beautiful. You fucking love bridges. I was so upset. I was like, (laughs) this was the most horrifying moment in this entire monster movie for me. Of course, they're driving across the suspension bridge and the weight of Godzilla on it is starting to pop both the ground floor and many of the wires that are suspending it. Yeah, but it does get tangled up in that bridge and this allows the army to shoot and finally kill it. I'm not sure how. Shooting it is not affected any any time before, but now they shoot it enough times that apparently it dies. They must do a couple flybys before they take down Godzilla, right? Like, it takes a while before they take it down. He falls, and of course his face lands exactly on the cab that they were in and had just escaped from. You're just like, there's so many, oh my, why would you even do this, right? The plausibility level of this movie is negative 100 million. Like, it's yeah, so yeah. bad. I don't even understand <laughs> yeah, how it's done big this. numbers around here. Yeah, I'm just throwing numbers out now because it's so bullshit. Yeah. But since it lands right there, Matthew Broderick is able to stare deep into its eyes as the last flicker of light goes out. And now we get much uh, hilarious celebrating and Siskel and Ebert break up. Thumbs down is the fucking joke we get to end this shit on. God damn. When Broderick is with Godzilla and the eye closes and you get that moment, this is where I was like, humans created this. They killed all of its children in front of it. And then they kill it. And I was like, we're horrible. Because the celebrations (laughs) that come after, there's these insane celebrations that are so corny. We get all these people hugging each other and like celebrating all over New York. And you're just like, this is fucking awful. Shouldn't we be mad at ourselves for being pieces of shit and creating this in the first place? Well, Jean Renault feels that way. Yeah, he tells us. He said it earlier. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, 
I did not get that thumbs down. When they do that breakup and he walks away and he gives it the thumbs down, I was just like, oh, what is this? But I didn't understand it. I feel really bad that I didn't pick up the Siskel and Ebert. Uh, you know what? I, were you watching Siskel and Ebert when we were younger? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Then I you definitely no watched it. Like, I know what they both Terrible look like. Terrible job by you, know. As soon as you said it, I was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> like, it connected immediately when you said it. And I was like, oh, I just missed their names. I hadn't I hadn't written down their names. And I just, but you're right. They were just, that was a weird shitting on just, them. Just savaging them. Yeah. So, at this point, Audrey quits her job. She's taking her story with her. Uh, also, Jean Renault took the tape from the video camera that Hank Azaria had. And he walks off, and then we cut back to the middle of Madison Square Garden, and there's one egg that was not destroyed, and that egg hatches, a baby cries, and then finally, after (laughs) all of the minutes of this movie, I finally get the Puff Daddy Jimmy Page song, Come With Me, as the credits roll. The credits are the best part of this movie for two reasons. The song is one. The fact that it's over is the other one. I have never been so excited for credits in my entire life as I was when that came on. Holy shit, man. I'm not going to argue with you. Uh, I have in here, I still don't understand the French government angle. It completely baffled me. I was pissed that every one of that crew of four walked away happy. You don't hire Matthew Broderick to die. No, you don't make a, you don't make a Matthew Broderick like upset or grumpy movie for sure. Um, I thought it was funny that the egg hatched in the like Nick's locker room. Like it seemed like it was right in their their like change room or whatever. Sequel that we never got. Yeah, and this has to reason. be like if we're looking at all Godzilla movies ever made, this has to be in the bottom ten percent. I mean, this sounds like a perfect time to transition to us rating the movie. We, we're done. We're done with this now. Let's go to the <laughs> ratings. The way this works, we rate the movie on a scale of one to ten. We do it twice. One to ten for how bad it is. One to ten for how enjoyable it is. The goal is to find movies that are a 10 out of 10 on both scales, or as we call it, a crit 20. 20. And so I'm going to go first with how bad this movie is. It's funny because I always write down the ratings like right after I watch it, when it's fresh in my mm-hmm. mind. Yeah, And I wrote down this is 10 out of 10 bad for all the reasons that we've just talked about. It's implausible. The casting was terrible. Like there's so many times when everyone should have died and just didn't. There's no reason this movie needs to be like two two hours plus. It's fucking bullshit. And then in the course of us talking about it, I found myself, I don't know if it's because we're like, we're doing this. I'm like, it can't all be negative. I'm trying to like defend certain parts. This part was okay. And I'm kind of like, should I change this to a nine? Like, I know I wrote down 10. No, I'm going with my original instinct. This is 10 out of 10 bad. This movie blows. (laughs) It was a complete disaster when it came out. It's a complete disaster now. What a pile of shit. What do you think? Uh, I didn't write 10 down in my notes. Don't tell me it's an 8, though. Don't tell me it's an (laughs) 8. I wrote down 9 bad, but I'm trying to figure out why I justified the 9 bad and not a 10 bad. (laughs) You've talked yourself out of it. (laughs) I have super fond memories of the sort of recording of this time, but I don't... So I wrote down 9... a nine because of the song i wrote down nine but after talking to you about it i'm throwing the 10 on the table this is 10 bad okay all right that's you know what i hope i didn't influence you in that because we we often disagree on this no i know but i i have no reason to to not make it a 10 like i really don't have a way to defend a nine and nine is a pretty high bad score but i think it is a 10 bad after our conversation but how enjoyable that's the question how enjoyable was this movie for you 
I always struggle more with enjoyable. I know. It's always a really you difficult one it for me. Like, <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I gotta stop it's mentioning okay. it. The number I wrote down for enjoyability was four. Okay. It was way too long. I, I really hated a lot of the scenes of Godzilla mixed in with the cityscape and the sort of like close up of Godzilla and then the people there was really bad. I really disliked the choice of sending it to New York. I did like the scenes in MSG because I thought they were kind of clever and that was kind of fun. I laughed at some really shitty parts that probably shouldn't have been laughed at. But overall, it just felt like a really drag on waste of time with a bunch of really bad decisions. I agree with you. I agree with you. That's why I have it as a one. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah, this movie right. yeah. was not enjoyable, even a little bit. Like, dude, I was just like dying the whole time I was looking at the clock. I couldn't believe how much this movie was left. I was like, please end this movie. I kept waiting for the song. It didn't show up <laughs> until the end. Um, yeah. It was full of just like these stereotypes and these just, like paper thin characters that brought yeah, nothing those to are it. Bad too. Again, at no point was I invested in the well-being because I knew they weren't going to die. Someone got this idea, this big budget fucking idea, and it's almost like they just felt like as long as we put enough money in this, people will come see it. And they didn't bother to invest in like a story that makes sense or good casting or characters that are well-developed. Do you think this is one of the top 10 worst big budget movies of all time? I mean, here's the thing. You and I, before we started this podcast, looked at a lot of like bad movie lists and how many of these was this on? I feel like it was on a lot of them. Yeah. For me, I will never watch this again. Oh, fuck. Me either. And I'll feel great about never watching it again. (laughs) So, yeah, for Uh, me, it's a one. How did you feel about this beer? Gamma Ray, the Imperial Coffee Stout. Signal Brewing Company out in Corbyville, Ontario, sort of nailed this Imperial Coffee Stout for me. I find that some of the Imperials can be hard to drink more than one of because they can be either really high alcohol content or super sweet. And this didn't really uh, hit either of those. I took two down in the recording of this, no problem. Although it's 9.5% and it has a bit of that warming feeling, it is not a difficult to drink stout in any way. I also did Tiana and I'm drunk. Uh, I had a, I had a couple beers earlier uh, before we started recording, yeah. and uh, I am I am now just thoroughly intoxicated. But I agree with you; it's got a little heat, it's a little stiff, but uh, pour smooth, drink smooth. I'm excited to try some more stuff from Signal. Uh, I'm going to look to order some of their things online, and I would love to do a pit stop sometime uh, as we're heading our way across Ontario. Yeah, man. Uh, so good stuff all around, and as I mentioned feeling pretty good right now so so there's that <laughs> next oh, week man. next week's gonna be good uh tell me are you familiar with the work of charles bronson uh <laughs> so i i can picture charles bronson in my head i remember him kind of being like a tough guy kind of mean streets guy but i don't know anything about his acting work no so in every movie that he's in, essentially, Charles Bronson wages a one-man war on crime or whoever for revenge because something horrible always happens to his like family or whatever. And so uh, next, next week, we're going to be enjoying a one-man war on crime in Charles Bronson's Murphy's Law. <laughs> Is that what it's called? Yeah, he plays Jack Murphy. And uh, <laughs> it's, it's Murphy's what, Law. What is Murphy's Law again? Murphy's Law is the saying that Anything what happens? that can happen will happen or something like that? Yeah, that's, that's right. Not, I'll tell that's you right, right now, that's not Murphy's Law in this movie. 
You're going oh, okay. <laughs> to find out. So we're going to enjoy a little Charles, late, late period Charles Bronson uh, waging a I'm excited war. for this. Yeah, That'll be next week. Um, until then, you know, if you haven't already, please follow us on social media, Instagram and Twitter at the BMB podcast. Yeah. If you have any recommendations for movies or beer, feel free to send us a DM on our social media or to send us an email at the BMB podcast at gmail.com. That's what Zachary did. And we did his episode today. Thank you again for the recommendations, Zachary. We appreciate that. Until next week, I'm Cooper. And I'm Nolan. And we'll see you next time on Bad Movies and Beer. Keep it Frenchy. Ah, they can't get a good cup of coffee. Size does matter.